It's been nice work, Six. Where would you like it? Uh, how about Cincinnati? <laughs> Very funny. Goodbye, Max. Hi, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast, where I look at new movies that are out in theaters. You can check out the link for that at my website, Quipster.net. Today, we're going to be getting into another three-part series. This one shifts ever so slightly from the previous three-part series where I looked at Bumbling Detectives. This week, the main protagonist is not a detective per se, although really kind of qualifies. So we're going to get into a three-part series that looks at bumbling protagonists in films based on television shows. In fact, the last episode I talked about The Naked Gun, that was based on a television show itself in Police Squad. This week, I'm going to be continuing on with, you know, we went from The Naked Gun, might as well talk about The Nude Bomb, <laughs> kind of in keeping there. Also based on a television show, obviously, Get Smart from the 1960s, and it also features a bumbling protagonist, so very much in the same vein as The Naked Gun. They're both spoofs of TV shows and films that came out in the 1960s in their own way as well. A lot of connections between the two. And that will kick off the three-part series looking at films based on TV shows with a bumbling protagonist. The Nude Bomb is also called The Return of Maxwell Smart, and that depends on which country that you watched it in and whether you're watching it on television or not because, you know, in the theaters in the United States, it was called The Nude Bomb, but when it appeared on television, it was called The Return of Maxwell Smart, and in other markets around the world where the word nude may have been considered a little too rude, The Return of Maxwell Smart was also used there. So if you see it as either, they're both the same movie, essentially, although TV showings do have a little bit different scenes to kind of clean up some of the risque stuff. Now, The Nude Bomb came out in 1980 and it was rated PG at the time. It does have brief nudity and innuendo. This is the kind of movie that would be PG-13 for sure today. The runtime is an hour and 34 minutes. Don Adams, who happened to be the star of Get Smart, returns here in the role that really made him famous of Maxwell Smart. Andrea Howard, Dana Elkar, Vittorio Gassman, Norman Lloyd, Sylvia Christel, Rhonda Fleming, Pamela Hensley, and Bill Dana are in the film. Clive Donner is the director of The Nude Bomb, and the screenplay credited to Bill Dana, Leonard B. Stern, and Arnie Sultan. Now, Maxwell Smart, played by Don Adams, he's a dim-witted super spy, and that came from the television show that was created basically by Mel Brooks and Buck Henry, the TV series from the 1960s, Get Smart. It was on the air, I think, from 1965 to 1970. Here, it is returning in 1980 for a brand new and racier adventure, and it's entitled, as I mentioned, The Nude Bomb. It has lost its title over the years in favor of the more TV programming-friendly The Return of Maxwell Smart. It's kind of ironic in that way because the original shooting title for The Nude Bomb actually was the return of Maxwell Smart. It was changed to the nude bomb fairly late into the production process because the people at Universal thought it would actually make for a more marketable movie. Now, the origin of a film version of Get Smart goes all the way back to 1966. 
Get Smart's executive producer, Leonard B. Stern, he wrote a script for a feature film version of the television show that was to be shot while they were on hiatus between the first and second season of the show. However, it never did get made. It never got released because there were financing and disagreements in the scheduling between Stern and Columbia Pictures, who were going to be making it, because they couldn't settle on when they were going to make this film. And that was in part because Don Adams, the star of the presumed movie, would have a prior commitment during the summer hiatus. He was going to be appearing in Atlantic City, and since they worked in Hollywood, and he's not somebody who likes to fly airplanes, that meant that he was going to travel cross-country by vehicle, and he wasn't able to secure an actual time as to when he was going to be available, and that left it pretty much up in the air. Since it broke down with Columbia, Stern tried to shop around the project to another studio. He brought in famed B-movie director William Castle to be the director for Paramount Pictures, who were interested in doing it. Paramount ultimately decided against it, though, because they observed lackluster returns for other TV-to-film attempts like Munster Go Home and 1966's Batman. And so the film ended up getting broken down into parts. It was retooled. It was made into a three-episode run on the TV show Get Smart with the title of A Man Called Smart, a three-episode run in April of 1967. Now, Get Smart would still continue until its fifth and final season. That was in 1970. It spent four seasons on NBC, its last on CBS, Whereafter, it would become a hit in syndication as well, not only in the United States, but it played in many, many dozens of markets around the world to great success. So in 1977, Frank Price, who was in charge of Universal Television at the time, he decided to do a reunion of the show. He commissioned Leonard B. Stern to come up with another screenplay to make a TV movie that they could sell to these other world markets. If it proved successful, they would essentially use that film to be used as a pilot for a return of the series, potentially, on American television. Barbara Feldon, who played Agent 99 on Get Smart, either she did not agree to appear or she was never invited, depending on who you ask. Leonard B. Stern claimed that when he brought up the idea of this TV movie to Feldon early on, she seemed uninterested in returning to the role. She felt that this is a show that had run its course and she didn't want to be only associated with that show. She wanted to move beyond it to other things. And without Feldon... Universal pushed the schedule shoot further into 1979 because there were necessary rewrites to give Max a new female partner, and Stern, who served as executive producer, brought in the talents of fellow writers for Steve Allen when they appeared together as writers on that show, Bill Dana and Arnie Sultan. Sultan, by the way, wrote many episodes of Get Smart himself, and he also served as the executive producer for the last three seasons, taking over for Stern on that show. Bill Dana was also working on a TV pilot at the time for a comedy series that was going from movie to TV based on the movie Car Wash. They were brought in to give a fresh comedy sheen to what Leonard B. Stern had written. Veteran novelist, playwright, and humorist Max Schulman was also hired on to do some script revisions to give the dialogue a little bit more polish. And then there was this unexpected thing that happened. When the script was completed, it was sent to Universal's Foreign Sales Division for review. They loved it. They loved it so much they passed it along to Jennings Lang, a producer working with Universal, on the notion that they should make it into a feature film instead. So Universal ended up upping the budget for the production from its initial $2.5 million to over $6 million. They told the screenwriters, go ahead and revise your script. Think big. 
come up with ways to make their story more cinematic and to take advantage of those things that they really could not show on television. Namely, they could have a little bit saltier language, maybe a little bit more adult situations and some PG-rated levels of innuendo. The original audience for the TV show, they were now in college, so they would probably be willing to indulge in a little bit more adult version of the TV show. And they thought that they would love to see more adult adventure with these characters that they enjoyed when they were young kids. And thus, the nude bomb premise was born. Now, for the record, Barbara Feldon denied that they ever asked her to be in the feature film, just the made-for-television reunion and possible new TV show that would spin off from that. And while it may have been as simple as thinking that Felden was uninterested and did not come back for a movie because she didn't want to reprise that role on television, the producers were actually keen on the opportunity to start over again, given that there wasn't any place to go with Maxwell Smart because he was a husband and father. They ended up getting married and having twins on the TV show. Felden surmised that they passed on her because... They wanted Maxwell Smart to be free and single and willing to mingle with younger actresses. Felden was 46 at the time. Now, even if it was as simple as a misunderstanding between Felden and the producers, they were too far into the major revisions now to go back and bring back Agent 99 anyway, given that they wanted a spicier and younger approach to revamp the television show for a potential new franchise. Felden has gone on to say that she really would not have done the movie if she had been asked, actually, given the wrong-headed direction it was going, and she did feel some pleasure at knowing that they were not really successful with the film after the fact. Now, Universal agreed to bigger changes. They raised the budget to $8 million on the condition that the film would appeal to a modern era. They did not want to look back at the spoofs of the 1960s. They wanted something new and fresh for the modern audiences, and that included putting the world of fashion in its plot. They wanted to inject disco into the soundtrack. They would spice things up with some of that adult language. They brought in some titillation factor. They didn't want to lose their PG rating, though, but they wanted things to be much more spicy and kind of in a way that the writers were becoming incensed by. They did not like the changes that they were asked to make, and they raised their concerns, sometimes in a very heated way. In fact, Leonard B. Stern would end up getting banned from the set, despite being an executive producer at that time anyway. And he was originally tagged to direct the film. The studio ended up bringing in that producer, Jennings Lang, to oversee the final revisions that they wanted to be made. One major component was to incorporate some advertising itself for the Universal Studios tour, as well as other properties that they might have going at the time. The Cylon Warriors of Battlestar Galactica get a, a lot of screen time here. At this point, Jennings Lang and the studio felt like they could reimagine the TV show into something that would compete with the bigger franchises out there. They wanted to go big and to outbond the Bond films, so to speak. They knew that the hardcore audience would come out to see the film no matter what, so they were going to get some recoup of their investment there. But they wanted to get even more than that, get new fans. They decided that they would have to lure in the more modern audiences that they expected. When they go to the movie theater, they wanted big set pieces, they wanted gorgeous women, and they wanted state-of-the-art special effects. So they brought in British director Clive Donner. He was hired on to take control, and the more he took control, the more things ended up changing with the film. Now, the show happened, as I mentioned, to be a hit in many parts of the world. However, England, where Clive Donner was from, was not one of those successful inroads. Donner claimed that it was the canned laughter of the TV show that ended up turning off British audiences to it. He stated that the few American comedies that actually did cross over well into the UK had a live audience instead, and as such, he was largely unfamiliar with the TV show Get Smart. 
and he wanted the scope widened from its original Cold War spy spoof concept to become a satire on the more modern 007 franchise that most people around the world were familiar with. Except this one would have more of a sense of humor that was kind of in keeping with the Pink Panther series, which was also something he was much more familiar with. And that would require more stunts, more gadgets, larger sets to be utilized, big action pieces, including skydiving and car chases and skiing sequences and whatnot. Over 100 stuntmen ended up getting employed for the various scenes within the nude bomb. Many more gadgets, including a motorized desk that actually could be driven at 40 miles per hour. In fact, Don Adams was out there driving around the streets of L.A. with it. And uh, curiously, the people of L.A. did not even look twice at this man sitting at a desk that was going down the street. Uh, There were several dozen effects shots that were commissioned to give the film more eye candy. For scoring duties, the production ended up luring in Lalo Schifrin, who also composed the theme song that's sung by Mary Clayton called You're Always There When I Need You. That featured lyrics by Don Black, who happened to have co-wrote theme songs to the James Bond films themselves. Thunderball, Diamonds Are Forever, and The Man with the Golden Gun were all written by Don Black. By the time the nude bomb was completed, the budget ended up blowing up. It was by that time a substantial for its time 15 million dollars and whatever the original script had that kept it in continuity with the television show was pretty much squeezed out altogether by the studio looking to make its money back on this investment. Now according to Don Adams, the script went through 18 different revisions in his time since he first read it and the first full cut of the film ran 3 hours and 40 minutes so that was definitely not going to work and their goal was to make it around 90 minutes which meant about 2 hours of cuts were necessary to that original first cut. And the more they tinkered, the less that Don Adams felt like it conformed to the original show. He regretted several times not backing out of the deal early on. He felt like the best stuff ended up on the cutting room floor once he actually saw the finished product. Especially he regretted the fact that there was some social commentary that was injected into the story that was completely cut out once they did all of the edits. Don Adams and Leonard B. Stern also felt that British director Clive Donner was the wrong man for the project. He was not somebody who was familiar with the original Get Smart concept, and he was unaccustomed to doing big and broad films altogether, even though he was considered a pretty good director. He just was not a good fit for the material. Now, as far as the plot goes, the gist of the film is that An agent from the super-terrorist organization Chaos is threatening to rid the world of all clothing if Chaos's demands are not met. They're going to use a bomb capable of destroying all forms of fabric around the world. So it's up to Agent 86 of, well, I would say Control, because that was from the original show, but they mysteriously changed the acronym that Agent 86 works for from Control to PITS, P-I-T-S, Provisional Intelligence Tactical Service. Maxwell Smart, he's still the super agent, and he's going to put an end to these nefarious plans, although wherever Smart turns, trouble seems to follow. He suspects that there may be a double agent trying to put a wrench in the works, but he doesn't know who. Now, there's a lot more to the plot than that, but... You know, this is not a movie that you watch for the plot. You watch it for the laughs. Now, Dot Adams here, he's returning to his most famous role, one in which he took Emmy Awards for Best Lead Actor in a comedy series for three seasons straight. From 1967 to 1969, he won the Emmy Award for Best Actor 
in comedy. He's joined here by Robert Carvelis, who plays Larrabee, both in the movie and on the television show. Carvelis and Don Adams were the only members of the show to actually return, although Joey Foreman, who plays Agent 13 in The Nude Bomb, he did appear on a couple of episodes as the Charlie Chan-esque Harry Who, although that was considered to be kind of a stereotype they didn't want to delve into at the time that the nude Bob came out. Now, no mention of Maxwell Smart's partner in crime fighting is in the film of Agent 99. Despite the fact that they were married and they had kids, all of that was retconned out. The chief is in the film, but he's now played by Dana Elkar. Edward Platt, who was the original TV version of the chief, he died several years before filming. I think he died in 1974. Eugene Roach was actually the first choice to play the chief in the film, and they shot several scenes, but he ended up falling out of the project due to illness. And that required somebody to come in, and so they picked Dean Elkar. During the production, all scenes with Roche needed to be reshot, and they did so. Veteran Italian actor Vittorio Gassman plays the heavy in this film. And in fact, he has a dual role. He plays Nino Salvatore Sebastiani and also Saint Sauvage. The actor recently had returned to do Hollywood films after two decades doing Italian films, and he performed in classical theater productions. He was uh, kind of a star in Hollywood back in the day. Gassman had grown discontent with acting in American films after being typecast through his contract with MGM into roles that he felt were limiting in films that he considered mostly to be bad. So he received also terrible press at that time. He had a tempestuous two-year marriage with actress Shelley Winters that made the pastures of Italy seem all the more greener once he was done with that marriage. Meanwhile, Maxwell Smart in The Nude Bomb, he has three potential love interests to choose from. He has the sultry Agent 36, played by Pamela Hensley. Hensley was known to some audiences at the time as Princess Ardala in the first season of NBC Universal's Buck Rogers in the 25th century. There was the sexy Agent 34, who was played by softcore porn siren Sylvia Christel. And then the goody two-shoes Agent 22, kind of a fill-in for 99, played by Andrea Howard. The numbers of the agents here, 36, 22, and 34, I guess they constitute the desirable measurements of women in this era, and that forms a joke in the film. Max introduces 36 to 22 and 22 to 36. Comedian Bill Dana, who originally appeared on a couple of episodes of the Get Smart TV show as different characters, he gets not only script credit here, his only feature film work as a writer, but he also appears in a brief but memorable role as a fashion designer named Jonathan Levinson Siegel. Now, personally speaking, I have been a longtime fan of Get Smart. I used to watch it when it was in reruns throughout the 1970s into the 1980s as well. It played all the time on television. I also went to see The Nude Bomb. I was nine years old when it came out. I saw it in the theater and I saw it several times on cable. And it wasn't because I liked it that much, but because I tended to forget the fact that it really is not that good of a movie. But the biggest reason, I think, for the drop-off in quality between the television show and The Nude Bomb is that the original TV show had some very good writers. They had very good creators attached. Mel Brooks, Buck Henry, even star Don Adams had his hand in writing and directing his share. The creators of The Nude Bomb get the basic premise right, and to some extent the characterizations. They even retain all of the famous catchphrases. And loving it, would you believe? Missed it by that much, and all of the other typical Maxwell Smart-isms. But they seem that they are forced in for fan recognition more so than in trying to make credible jokes out of those catchphrases on their own. And while most of the TV show's funniest moments came from the dialogue and the satire of popular spy flicks, the nude bomb really isn't graced with that much crisp writing. Instead, the funnier moments occur 
during some relatively inspired moments of slapstick. You get a car chase between the bad guy and Maxwell Smart controlling a souped-up desk, and there's this chase through Universal Studios, there's this melee that involves a dozen clones of Agent 86 duking it out with the clones of Norman Saint Sauvage. Also, Maxwell Smart is not as likable in The Nude Bomb here as he is on the television series. In The Nude Bomb, he's much more vulgar, he's smarmy, he has a rather distasteful sexual side that was not evidenced in the small screen predecessor, and that may turn off some fans. Then again, I guess the same could be said about the movie as a whole, because it ended up failing to connect with the wider audience that they were seeking, and it also ended up turning off series fans because it strayed too much from the formula that they knew and loved. Nevertheless, it did put up, I guess, decent box office numbers in 1980. It's long considered to be a major flop, a big bomb at the box office, so to speak. It debuted, though, at number two when it did come out, and that was just behind the slasher movie that kind of became a phenomenon at the time, Friday the 13th. It remained in the top 10 a couple of more weeks. It did have a lengthy run overall, and it did earn about $14.5 million. Now, of course, the shooting budget skyrocketed up to $15 million, so they did kind of lose money there, especially if you want to factor in all of the marketing that they had to do. But it was the studio's fault because they bloated the budget. If they had gone with their original $6 million budget, it would have been a hit. So to add insult to injury, the film ended up nominated for Worst Picture in the inaugural version of the Golden Raspberry Awards in 1980, a.k.a. the Razzies. At least they benefited from the blatant advertisements for Universal and its studio tour in the film as a consolation for their overspending. Hopefully they ended up at least turning up more people to going to Universal Studios because of what they saw in the film. Now, there was a more proper revival that actually was a made-for-TV film. It came out on ABC in 1989, and it was called Get Smart Again. That film completely ignores the nude bomb, and it stays in the continuity of the television show, and it returns Barbara Feldon as Agent 99. She was brought in. She agreed to the script. In 1995, there was also a short-lived TV show that actually aired only seven episodes. It was on Fox, and it featured both Don Adams and Barbara Feldon once again. It was called Get Smart, but it had Andy Dick, and that effectively really did render the nude bomb as out of continuity with all of the other Get Smart properties. As such, the nude bomb is probably only of appeal to get smart completists if you're a huge fan of the tv show and you just want to watch all of the various incarnations of the show including the one that seems kind of like not the others then you would watch the nude bomb as well you may also want to check it out if you're not particularly into the faithful recreation of the beloved tv series if you're okay with the fact that it's going to deviate from the typical canon of the show I think that there are enough jokes here that you may find amusing. You may actually come away liking it. Many fans of the TV show do consider it non-canon because of its different tone, the lack of adherence to the show, beyond the trademark catchphrases and a few of the doohickeys like the shoe phone, and the fact that Agent 99 is left out entirely that really did turn off a lot of the hardcore fans. I do think that The Nude Bomb still has its moments. I admit, I, I actually enjoy watching the film even though I don't think it's particularly good film. You know, the hit-to-mit ratio is a little bit too heavily stacked in the negative to consider it worthwhile, I think, for most people. There were phony backdrops, obvious stunt doubles, silly-looking props. Those add to the already considerable cheese factor of the film. I guess there's a reason why the producers of this misfire lost control as the main organization, and they gave us the pits. It is kind of the pits. They didn't have as much control over their own property, but... 
All in all, this is a close call for me as to whether I would consider it worthwhile or not, but I'm going to shade on the side of not because I don't know how much I would really recommend to people who love the show and were expecting a continuation of the same. You're not going to get that here, and I don't think it's going to pull in a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the show. So it's a miss for the fans, and for non-fans, it's a miss too because it still doesn't quite make sense, I think, unless you have the background of watching the TV show. So all in all, I'm going to give it two and a half stars out of four. Two and a half stars on my scale means that I do think that there were all the tools and talent to actually make a worthwhile film here, but it just misses, missed it by that much, to borrow a catchphrase from Maxwell Smart, because it just deviated too much from the original source material. And despite some humorous moments and the fact that it's watchable, it's just not enough to give it a broader recommendation. So you kind of have to have low expectations and just enjoy it as a diversion and not as a good film in and of itself. So two and a half stars is the best I can give. The Nude Bomb, a.k.a. The Return of Maxwell Smart. Now, as far as what I'm going to be talking about next week, I'm going to talk about that continuation that was made for television. So a made-for-TV movie I'm going to be talking about here from 1989, the other movie that came out in the 1980s that is well-regarded by many people who like the original Get Smart series because it did pay respect to the original television show much more than The Nude Bomb did, and that is Get Smart Again, the made-for-TV movie in 1989 starring Don Adams and Barbara Feldon, and it actually brings back quite a few other people from the original television show. And I'll get into that. I actually have not seen it before, and I'm looking forward to getting into it for next episode. So Get Smart Again from 1989. I do believe it's available on most of your streaming services to pay for, Amazon, iTunes, and whatnot. So if you haven't seen it, you can definitely check it out online. If you have your own thoughts on the nude bomb or get smart in general, I do enjoy talking about this property. You can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. You can find links to my Twitter feed, Facebook page, my Instagram. All of those are adequate ways to keep in touch with me. Quipster.net is where to go. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. Oh,